Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. If you're listening, this is also a video podcast, so you can find that on YouTube or blog.primalblueprint.com. Today, we have Allie Miller on the show. She is someone I met at PaleoFX, was very impressed with talking to on a keto panel, and she's an integrative functional dietitian. She's the author of Naturally Nourished, Food as Medicine for Optimal Health Cookbook in 2016, and we're going to talk about her new book, which I'm really excited about, called The Anti-Anxiety Diet. Uh, She's also the creator of Reset, Restore, Renew, the Real Food Detox Program, lots of virtual classes. There's so many ways you can get helped by her. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so pumped to be here. So tell us, how did you get into this line of work? So I went, I went to people even who become nutritionists don't see it. Yeah, I went to a naturopathic connection. Yeah, something kind of got funky. Yeah, hold on a second. Sorry, everyone. All right. (laughs) I think we're happening. (laughs) Always fun Um, at the mercy of. (laughs) Um, So I went to a a naturopathic college of medicine, Vestir University, and I was studying there and shifted gears to become a registered dietitian. And um, so I always say I kind of have a leg on both banks of the river, the allopathic conventional world. That's where the RD kind of licensure sits. And that's where most uh, MDs, general practitioners, specialists, and then the other bank of the river of naturopathic medicine. And I marry that with functional integrative medicine. So I'm always looking with my patients to detect what is the root cause of their imbalance and um, determining what is their entry point, because that can often be really important when we're looking at resolving the root, where this all cascaded from. And I find HPA axis imbalance, which I know we're both (laughs) big fans of watching and managing, um, HPA axis imbalance and anxiety or unmanaged stress of really being a strong Achilles heel that is often undervalued or underlooked in the medical world. Will you explain the access to people listening who might not understand that? Sure. So the HPA axis is our sympathetic nervous system, and this is our hypothalamus pituitary adrenals. And um, this is really commonly termed as the fight or flight mode of the body. So two of the glands being in the brain, the hypothalamus and pituitary, and then the adrenals that sit above our kidneys. And these glands, when in overdrive mode, work and put the body into reactive versus regulatory function. So in the regulatory function, which is our parasympathetic system, that's where we see rest, digest, but we also see metabolize and reproduce. So sexual hormone balance, thyroid, metabolic function can all get thrown off if we're in this HPA axis overdrive. I've had adrenal fatigue a couple of times with a decade uh, former struggle, and I know how uh, 
insane the anxiety that was caused. I had never had anxiety attacks in my life ever. And I used to think it was strange when people would describe them to me or I'd be around someone who had one. And uh, I don't have them anymore, but I went through them while I was severely hypothyroid and in adrenal fatigue. And it was so frightening. Um, I all of a sudden thought something was wrong with me. I literally felt like I would have to die, pull over, go to the CVS. And I I had to take Xanax for a little while until I resolved it. And this happens with a lot of people. Um, So let's talk about the fight or flight and the stress and, and then the creation of anxiety, you know, it's not yeah. just like, Oh, lack of sleep. And you know, you're going to get wrinkles cause you're up all night, but it also really messes with the cortisol and it messes with sure. the situation. So, so it's interesting, you know, often in the body with anything, like if we're talking about insulin, blood sugar, cortisol, we tend to go high before we kind of crash and drop. And so what can happen is we can experience anxiety both in HPA access overload or overdrive as well as HPA access burnout. So in both states of high cortisol output, which that's commonly going to be seen with like fluid retention, uh, belly fat gain, typically seen with insomnia and more of like the incredible Hulk mode. (laughs) That's what I call it to clients where it's like this like out of body kind of feeling of feeling restless, waking in the middle of the night. Um, That commonly is going to be seen with the high cortisol But what happens is over time, as those adrenal glands get depleted from that constant stimulation, when we put out too much cortisol that interferes with the feedback mechanisms of the HPA axis, and it keeps us in this chronic reactive mode, and over time, the adrenal glands have to rely on the epinephrine or those neurotransmitters, and we go into that adrenaline surge where that's where we can get a lot of the downstream impacts of like heart palpitations, panic attack, and that can actually often be seen in the stages of adrenal fatigue. So the cortisol comes down, but we can still be overproducing the epinephrine or not having enough norepinephrine to balance out that expression. And then in chronic state, we sterilize the microbiome so we're not producing enough serotonin and GABA to be that landing gear to help to rebound from that reactive stress. I'd love to hear what you've heard from clients, patients, and other people on what I'm about to say, which is, so with the adrenal fatigue and the cortisol issues, what I noticed both times in, you know, in hindsight. Yeah, always. (laughs) Yeah, always in hindsight. I was so sensitive to... Uh, sounds, lights, and smells. In fact, uh, my friend is hanging out over here silent in the background. And she was one of these people where I'd gotten to a car and she'd be playing music. And I'm like, I can't, I can't handle it. Or she'd wear her perfume that never bothered me before. And then I was like, oh, please don't wear perfume. I mean, you, you become like a jerk and no one wants to hang out with you because you're so sensitive to stuff. Or the apartment I was living with and in, in at the time, I never was bothered by the neighbors or any kind of the, the, the white noise around, but then all of a sudden it was like unbearable. And um, these are just these sensitivities that people can look out for. And then the other thing, like you mentioned with the high nighttime cortisol, is that whole, if you past 6 p.m., which is, this is the classic with hypo people, like takes you forever to get out of bed, but then you have like a resurge at 6 p.m. and then you're up at night. That is a wonky adrenal right they're really sensitive tough they're hard with other people don't know what's happening to you i'm sure to hear what you've heard from some of your patients on this note of what kind of symptoms and things they experience 
Yeah, I agree with all of those. And and another one that we hear often is that people will mention like a out of body buzzing or like electrical current. Um, that's a really common one as well. And that's often that epinephrine, just steam training, trying to, and that's that classic. We say it all the time, but it doesn't register when we say we're running on adrenaline. Um, and so many of us are, we're just overstressed, overwired, overburned. Um, and another symptom that I find that's often overlooked or mismanaged I do a lot of work with the microbiome. I do stool testing and I do honor the influence of dysbiosis and SIBO and candida, but a lot of adrenal fatigue people have because that cortisol interferes with our secretory IgA. So we get more leaky gut stress literally drills holes in our gut lining. Um, And so we get bloating and distended abdomen when we're in that stage. And unfortunately, a lot of people go into aggressive cleanse mode at that time. And that's not necessarily the right move because that can further distress the body. I think we all know that probably some of the current treatments for depression and anxiety, they don't get to the root, right? Someone's going to slap a pill on the person, which they might need in the interim. And there's, you know, nothing wrong with having to have a life-saving uh, dose of Xanax for somebody. Sure. Um, but then, you know, in, in uh, what I do, it's like with the thyroid stuff. And you mentioned with the root, you can take Prozac and then it might work for three months, but then it won't work because you never got to the root. So let's talk about some of the problems with the treatment and the ways people are approaching uh, depression and anxiety? Yes. So unfortunately, and as there's always a yin and a yang, right? So as things, as, as the light is shown on things that are not right, there's hopefully always something coming out from the, <laughs> the dark. Uh, but, um, you know, I think one of the beautiful things is that more practitioners are doing some genetic testing, which is very helpful and important. Um, but unfortunately, we're not seeing enough evidence-based practice. We're throwing medications before asking why, and really even understanding if it's a serotonin issue to begin with. So the whole concept of an SSRI and working with that feedback and reuptake inhibition works on a signaling system. And we're not even assessing if that person comes in as an over or under expressor or manufacturer of serotonin in the first place, which you can do with urinary metabolites. You can also look into if the individual is in a state of biome balance, because we know strains like lacto and bifido, if there's no growth, they're likely coming at us with insufficient amounts of GABA and serotonin. Um, And then there's metabolic genetic components like MTHFR and COMT. And a lot of people are starting to hone in on MTHFR, which is awesome. But my concern is the medications like Deplin, which are these mega dose methylfolates for the people that are COMT, what that stands for is catecholamine methyltransferase. And basically that means that those individuals, if given high dose methyl factors are going to turn the wheel one way and build up that epinephrine adrenaline. And and those are the people that find themselves in whole foods, disoriented and confused about, you know, what what am I even doing here? And they go into literally panic attack mode. So it's important that as we are treating people, we're understanding their genetics, we're understanding their production factory of that biome. 
And then we're also understanding the nutritional components and building blocks because we can really move a lot of the, the Richter scale by giving the precursors and the converters of neurotransmitters working from more upstream versus downstream. And it tends to be a more sound, safe way because the body then can metabolize versus working downstream in the feedback mechanisms. Okay, that's interesting. So on the organic acids test I took at one point a couple of years ago, I had like zero, zero, zero serotonin. So we, we did a, a rigmarole of H, five HTP. For, I just did it for like five weeks. And then I actually expressed this to Evan Brand on the podcast where it worked great. And then it must have tapped out or it must have hit a point. And I'm wondering what you could say about this because then I got extremely exhausted. And I looked online, did some research and someone said, listen, if you're taking 5-HTP and all of a sudden you're so exhausted where every day is a, then that means you stop and you're, yep. you're good. So I did, but I got to tell you, it was nothing short of miraculous. The, the difference, the, the appetite suppression, the difference in happiness and well-being and even weight loss, just some other stuff with just taking, just doing a five-week thing of something that was over the counter and I only did 50 milligrams. I yeah. didn't do a high dose and I only did it once a day. So it's like, my gosh, you could start there or you could go right to the Prozac. So, right. you know, is that what you're talking about when you're talking with these kind of nutraceuticals and then if you have to move up to the big game, you will? Yeah. So I actually provide, so I use a six R approach in my book and the last R is rebalancing your neurotransmitters. And I don't say that you have to follow my distribution of the book. It's the story I'm telling of anxiety and the root causes. And I end with neurotransmitters because restoring your micronutrients is essential, right? You need the both amino acids, which would be tryptophan in that sense, which the intermediary of 5-HTP, which then converts into serotonin. And 5-HTP is a great tool um, because that does cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, And so getting the building blocks foundationally is extremely important. And then the cofactors. So for instance, 5-HTP is very good synergy with B6. Um, Pyridoxine uh, really helps to drive that conversion. And in my rebalancing chapter, I actually give specific quizzes and guidelines on if you would be high or low in those particular neurotransmitters, I identify serotonin and GABA, the two inhibitory or mellow or outer neurotransmitters, as well as your norepinephrine, epinephrine, adrenaline, dopamine, and glutamate. Um, and so I identify some quizzes and then food as medicine options and supplementation support. And it's a really good starting point. And like you said, starting with one at a time to really kind of feel where you're at. And I really honed in on you know my 10 years of clinical experience and up-to-date research on entry points that make sense. So you can rule out, for instance, if you need a inhibitory compound, serotonin depletion often will have more of those like myalgia aches. Um, we're also waking, not feeling well rested. And so just like that tenderness in the, tenderness in the fascia, not waking well rested, Whereas GABA depletion, often we're dealing with more urgency or irritability, um, short fuse, um, like a white knuckle effect, or almost like a tremor from stress. That's like the shakiness in our voice from public speaking. (laughs) I always love to take a GABA calm chew before doing those types of things. Um, And so I try to give you guidelines on where you can start right with like a first do no harm food as medicine and nutraceutical driver. Let's talk about the role of um, inflammatory foods on anxiety and mood. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about some of the the big ones to avoid. And then I'd love to hear about some of your favorite stabilizing uh, things. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, 
the connection of inflammation and anxiety and mood is that inflammatory chemical mediators. So we're talking about like the geeky terms of cytokines and prostaglandins and all of these chemical warfare of the immune system when provoked from inflammation cross the blood brain barrier. And those interfere with our synapses. They interfere with our neurotransmitter signaling and docking. So it's like the phone line is, is being uh, disoriented or, or the tapping isn't being connected. You're not getting that signal and the receptor dock. Um, and so it's really important when we're looking at this brain-gut connection and body-brain connection that we remove the foods that we are known as drivers of inflammation. And then once we've gone beyond those primary removals, some people that deal with significant mood disturbances may even want to go tighter into an elimination diet um, or use an inflammatory food panel to get specific information to, to their body. But the five that I identify are uh, gluten, as well as uh, corn, soy, sugar, and dairy. And gluten and dairy are because of the gluteo and casein morphin compound that crosses the blood-brain barrier and interferes with our opioid receptors. So when we're talking about mood stability, that addictive tendency is obviously something we want to remove from the body so that we can rework this, the firing and signaling. And then gluten pairing on top of that, of course, interference with zonulin and uh, the barrier that supports our gut integrity and lining. Um, and so leaky gut drivers and then crossing the blood-brain barrier and opioid is the reasons for those. Corn and soy be the genetic modification and trying to keep out anything that has neurotoxin applied to those crops if we're dealing with neurotransmitter balance, had to pull those out. And then they're both very high omega-6, uh, which is getting back to that primal hunter-gatherer. We always like to reset our omega-3 to omega-6 to balance out the inflammation in the body. And then sugar um, is pretty inclusive. And that's what creates the launch pad of how I use the ketogenic diet actually as an adjuvant or an additional macro approach to balance and stabilize mood. Um, we've seen in studies that elevated blood sugar levels are um, highest or highest propendency of risk with mental illness, depression, and anxiety with elevated hemoglobin A1C or blood sugar levels. Uh, we know that insulin has inflammatory mechanisms and can also interfere with our uh, neurotransmitters. And um, that ketones, that same mechanism of their ability to help to manage epilepsy, if you think of it. A seizure is excitatory nerve impulse in the body that creates to the, to the point of actually having seizure output um, or, or that uh, tremor. And so if the ketones cross the blood-brain barrier and sit on those excitatory synapses and give us mellow and also work on our GABA receptors to reduce that rigidity in the body on a nutritional level, maybe not as dense as a therapeutic tool for epilepsy, like a four-to-one macro, but a nutritional ketosis can be very supportive for mood stability. You know, speaking of that, and let's get into that a bit, because we met on the keto panel yeah, at yeah. FX, And so we're talking about this and you're uh, a lot more, you know, scientifically uh, knowledgeable about the subject, but uh, we've heard so many great success stories of helping with anxiety, but also low carb keto parents getting their kids off of ADD medication or yes. reducing it significantly. So and obviously we know traumatic brain injury, you know, Kevin Ballister, feet of brain, the guy was barely going to be uh, woken from a coma. He had a 10% chance of ever walking again. And, you know, he's shipping in high doses of omega-3s, you know, into the yeah. hospital there when the doctors were like, don't do that. That's wrong. Right. So 
Keto and low carb, so many things associated with the brain. Yes. For those that maybe haven't listened to a bunch of our podcasts where we've talked about this, can you give everyone a layman's term snapshot of how, why that is? Sure. So, uh, you know, most people, well, back in the day, <laughs> so, you know, hunter gatherer days, we, we've, we've been developed to be hybrid machines and this is often neglected. And what I mean by that is that the human body is evolved to run both on ketones and glucose. Um, and you know, I think for people that are fearful of the concept of ketosis being extreme, that needs to first kind of be brought to the conversation. So, you know, we make ketones in times of fasting. So, you know, when, food isn't readily available. And then we make ketones in the times of restriction of carbohydrates. And as we've seen in the last 30 to 50 years in the medical world, as we've removed saturated fats, as we've removed dietary cholesterol and brought breakfast cereal and all these refined garbage carbs into the standard American diet, we've only seen a plethora of an increase of dysmetabolic syndrome, diabetes, hypertension, um, as well as dyslipidemia and um, cancer. So we look at on the blood sugar model, um, reducing blood sugar by removing those excessive carbohydrates. And in a ketogenic diet, we're removing them to typically less than 30 grams a day is kind of the gold standard, um, at least as a launch pad. So my anti-anxiety diet has two phases. The first phase is tight nutritional ketosis to really just bathe your brain in ketones. And so the benefit of this is by removing carbs down to 30 grams a day, which this means removing all fruit, all grains, all legumes, all starchy vegetables, and even being mindful of the residual carbs in your foods like avocado, for instance, a quarter of an avocado can have upwards of four grams of carbs. Um, nuts and seeds and nut butters, these can all contribute up to that 30 grams. Asparagus as a prebiotic fiber. So, so even your free veggies, which are great, are going to contribute up to that 30. Um, and so you need to be strategic to get the body into becoming fat adapted or to learn that there's this alternative fuel. Um, so generally speaking, this is done by both intermittent fasting and also restriction of dietary carbohydrates to that 30 grams. It takes about 72 hours for the body to reduce its glycogen stores and start to get thrifty and for the liver to start to produce these ketones from the fat in the diet and the fat that we wear <laughs> on our bodies. Um, and then over time, as the body learns that this is a fuel we can use in addition to glucose, glucose levels become more stabilized. So instead of being these mountains and valleys of blood sugar spikes and drops, glucose levels become stabilized. Our fasting insulin levels come down, which helps to lower inflammation. And the ketones, as they produce, again, cross the blood-brain barrier, and they help us to feel very satiated. They actually impact our leptin and our hypothalamus, that H of the HPA axis. So that gives us this feedback of satiety and balance. Um, and I always say it makes you want to hug a stranger. Um, <laughs> so there's this feel-good keto high that people talk about. Um, but uh, that all happens with that restriction. But then I do have a phase two of my program because I find with women especially type A, over-caffeinating, over-exercising, not getting enough sleep, um, women that, that want to like fast long and, 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 you know, really kind of not listen to the feedback mechanisms of their body, that some of them need to use a little bit of a more liberalized 50 grams of carb approach 
or consider carb cycling because that's where we can actually throw the body into the overreactive mode. So if someone's saying keto didn't work for me, um, it's because they went too hard too fast. Um, you know, they didn't check the status of their adrenals. If their DHEA is low from their adrenals, they don't have the fuel source to make ketones. So there's a lot of things I cover in my book to consider. It's not a magic silver bullet, but it's a tool that we can all use to start feeling much more grounded, I feel. Such a great point you made. I want to just highlight DHEA. It's something that a lot of hypothyroid patients, when they've gone undiagnosed for a while, get low in because of the adrenals, right? So you have no T3 or it's very low. So now your adrenals are taking over. That gets exhausted. And honestly, the DHEA plummets. And it can come back up naturally later, but sometimes assisting it, you know, right along the way can be good for a while. I've had that happen to me twice. So I, and I really have, I feel and understand the difference between a DHA, low DHA result and a, and a higher one. You know, for men that are out there, what I've heard is when I've seen low DHA tests, it usually goes along with poor sleep, uh, waking up throughout the night, uh, muscle soreness, not recovering from exercise yes. or issues with waking up with erections when you should, because of course it's a hormone precursor. So I'm really glad you brought up the fact that if you're, di- here's what we have. We have a lot of people misunderstanding keto. And I like how you said, don't jump in it too soon. If someone says it was, it, it, it didn't work. And when people go, Hey, it didn't work. I got fat. It's like, well, then you should look at thyroid. You need to look at other things. Yeah. And I, I get a lot of comments from people. They're like, you know, I've, I'm hypo, so I did keto. And I was like, well, you're asking your body to get into a metabolic state it cannot get into. So until right. you are unhypo, unless right. you're severely obese and that's the cause of the hypothyroidism, and then you can kind of reverse it. But essentially, until you get unhypo in whatever way, you can't support that. And I find it interesting that you said that about the low DHEA. So yeah. that's something to consider that even if someone's not getting that test as they normally would for like thyroid measurement that everybody, can we talk about DHA? It's such a great anti-aging hormone yes, and you yes. know, it declines in our thirties. So if you could just touch on this, cause this is something no one's mentioned yet on our podcast. Yeah. And I wanted to mention real quick as a sidebar, just cause I think it's so important um, that you can keto in adrenal fatigue and with hypothyroid, but you cannot calorie restrict and over caffeinate under sleep and over exercise. That's the biggest thing for people to understand because right. it's like, it's not a, it's just because you're doing carb restriction doesn't mean you have to starve yourself because that's going to up your reverse T3. That's going to keep you in this reactive burnout mode. Right. So it's like, you can eat high fat. So anyway, sidebar. Um, <laughs> so, so DHEA, um, yes, also made by the adrenal. So the cortex of the adrenal gland makes cortisol, DHEA, and aldosterone, and then a little bit of sexual hormone, um, whereas the medulla makes those neurotransmitters, the epinephrine, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Um, And DHEA is, I think, the unsung hero of health for sure. Um, It is phenomenal as far as it working as almost a stem cell in the brain. So although the adrenals predominantly produce DHEA, it is gobbled up by our central nervous system. Um, and it also has function as a, a steroid precursor in the production of estrogen, typically estradiol and uh, testosterone. So when we're having hormone change, especially perimenopausal or uh, we're going andropause, the men that have the belly fat, and especially if they've had cortisol up, DHEA down, testosterone plummets as well. Um, and as we know, unfortunately, cortisol can raise testosterone in women, but it lowers testosterone in men. Um, so there can be a lot of unfavorable symptoms. I, I associate strongly brain fog, difficulty concentrating, and depression with low DHEA. 
although you can still experience anxiety with low DHEA because it can be that like sensation of um, if you've ever gone on a road trip and driven in the night too long <laughs> and then you get to yes. your hotel and you're so tired, you can't fall asleep. <laughs> it's like that, that level of fatigue where you're wiry um, and it's a different kind of wiry, but, but you can definitely experience that anxiety as well. So on the DHA note, since we got there and, you know, I'd like to give everyone an idea, um, depending on age, let's say you're 30 or older, um, what are you looking at? I've been told you might want mid to towards the top of the range uh, as as a result of particularly if you're supplementing. And then I guess my second part question would be, do you because I have not taken it consistently like all year round, like I'll take Mm -hmm. it for a while and then I won't. What are the thoughts on that, on the dosing yeah. of it? You know, not necessarily a milligram, you know, prescription okay. here, but just, yeah, give us a, a picture of what that looks like. So I, I look at DHEA both in the saliva as well as DHEA-S or sulfite. So DHEA-S is what you'd want to get run in the blood. Um, saliva is going to be more sensitive and look at more of the free hormone. Um, so that which is more bioavailable um, to our receptors to be utilized. Um, but DHEA-S is a good, cheaper option for assessment marker and um, is you know offered by your standard labs like LabCorp, Quest, and all that jazz. Um, and I agree, you would want to be in the higher to normal range. Now, if you are actively supplementing, I do recommend, and, and generally speaking, just in broad terms of milligrams, like 10 to 50 milligrams. And for women, we usually stay around 25, um, don't go significantly higher. Um, for women that are being treated with aromatase inhibitors from breast cancer, um, tamoxifen and such, that's the population that I don't use DHEA on a clinical level. Um, and then for women that have just a family history, I always am monitoring every six months their estrogen levels because it is a precursor. Um, I've yet to see any concern, but I like to always be, you know, first do no harm approach and know that metabolic downstream metabolite. Um, and so there is the estrogen and testosterone to watch while you're supplementing with DHEA. Um, and, uh, there's different reference ranges for blood and saliva, but, but definitely being in the middle to upper end is ideal. And then there's the population of PCOS, which is generally speaking, going to have elevated DHEA. And that pairs with usually low vitamin D insulin resistance. And the high DHEA is going to be those that go androgenic versus ovarian. So they're producing more of often testosterone, definitely DHEA. They might have some of that hirsutism or female hair growth, um, hair thinning on their head, hair in the wrong places. (laughs) And then um, they're often going to be anovulatory. So they might be having a cycle, but they're not ovulating, or they might not be having a cycle at all. And keto, like I mentioned, DHEA being a precursor, is the best way for PCOS women to metabolize that down. Absolutely. And uh, I was misdiagnosed with that actually at one point when I was severely hypothyroid. And, you know, so anyone who's been diagnosed with that, look into the thyroid as being a major cause of that because I have never had a problem since. It was many, many years ago. And it looked exactly like PCOS. If I was a gynecologist, I would have diagnosed myself with it too. Yeah. No one asked why. So that's Mm. where what you're talking about. No one got to, all right, well, what caused this imbalance in a 30 year old healthy female? So I love. I love what you're doing and getting back to the root of it. You're so articulate and and so smart. Um, The anti-anxiety diet aside, how can we, aside from reading that book and helping ourselves and our loved ones get on the right path to a little bit of a happier brain there, what do we, 
how can we work with you? There's a variety of ways in which you work with people. How can someone who's listening to this go, I need her help. Tell us all of the ways we can connect with you. Yeah. So um, my website is AllieMillerRD.com and I do have books and programs. So I have the anti-anxiety diet, which that is a really great entry point for really functional medicine because it talks about leaky gut. It talks about the microbiome. It gives you a quiz at the end of every chapter to determine if this is me and what I need to do about it. And then there is references in the back of advanced functional labs and supplement strategy. And so I really tried to make it uh, very applicable to even those of us that don't perceive anxiety. Uh, so I think it beyond that, that concept is a great entry point for people looking to heal their body from the root cause. Um, and then I have a cookbook called Naturally Nourished, um, and that's an anti-inflammatory cookbook. It has a 12-week meal plan, and it has recipes coded as KF for keto-friendly, but it's not a keto-only cookbook. Um, and one of my biggest food philosophies that I use on my blog and other free resources on my website is that I'm very, um, I'm very anti non-caloric sweeteners. We're all about whole real foods. And so a lot of times when you jump into breaking up with carbs, you just replace that addiction with another abusive boyfriend. <laughs> it's like not. I love this. They call it a breakup. Like I'm breaking <laughs> up with carbs. Yeah. I am, um, tell, you know what, Stevia, something about it can kind yeah. of. Be kind of gross and weird. What is going on there? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and so I do have a virtual 12 week food as medicine keto class as well um, that I run ongoing. And so for people that are really looking at redefining their relationship with food and a real food approach and how to modulate, I have different protocols for a fast track weight loss, a steady and sustained, which is where I put my hypothyroid and adrenal people in. And then my heal, gain and maintain, which is a lot of my neurological people like MS, Parkinson's, um, or people that are new um, autoimmune disease flare that need to kind of recalibrate before they do anything aggressive with restriction. As anyone listening or watching can tell, Allie breaks it down so clearly, so <laughs> concisely, you. and you'll see that in her books as well. But as well, I love that you've categorized those programs because those are perfect categories for different you know, modalities there. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about, I love to end things with Tell us about some of these success stories, you know, tell us about some of the 180s because there are people out there that are granted going to definitely be identifying with that Mm -hmm. and want to hear hope, you know? Yeah. So, uh, let's see, I'll start with Sarah. So Sarah has three kids. Um, she is over caffeinated (laughs) having like her second Starbucks in the middle of the day, um, calorie restricting and taking spin class three times a week. Um, and, uh, just feeling really wiry, jumpy and out of body. Um, she did, um, not have hypothyroid, but had a lot of the symptoms, hence, you know, didn't have hypothyroid from the TSH that was run and not even um, free T3, just free T4. Um, So overlooked um, thyroid dysfunction and um, unassessed adrenals. And she started to do uh, cleanses um, because she was having belly bloat. So she actually did a candida cleanse of sorts that she found online and started finding herself waking in the middle of the night, having panic attacks, um, and had to pull over one time with her three kids in the car because she was having palpitations and such and comes to sorts. And this is really interesting because of that connection that again, adrenal fatigue can drive that belly bloat. 
And so I always like to start very simply clinically with a probiotic challenge before I recommend doing an, a, a cleanse because we can have symptoms of that distension or bloating from leaky gut, and that can be osmotic or fluid related from that, that cortisol hitting our gut integrity. Um, and we can also have that type of response from a sterilized gut. And um, Sarah was one that had a really sterilized gut and following a cleanse, it was really the kind of, the kind of hit on the, the spike that just burned her body to, to the brink. So she went into super low neurotransmitter production, and that's what was driving this kind of epinephrine surge, palpitation, and imbalance. So we actually started her with a probiotic challenge and a good quality adaptogen blend and um, some magnesium bisglycinate and inositol. Um, And so uh, a a couple different kind of uh, formulas right off the bat. And then we worked with increasing fat and I made her start eating breakfast (laughs) and um, truly, and then we started working on vitamin C rich foods for her adrenals, working with gelatin and bone broth. And um, really within a six week period of time, she noticed remarkable change. Um, I had her on a formula in my line called Calm and Clear, and it's a blend of adaptogens and nervines and L-theanine. Um, and L-theanine is really a wonderful kind of pendulum swing for all brain activity because it helps with alpha brain waves, which is what we see during meditation, you know, uh, meditation, sleep, creative um, expression and concentration. And so we got her and that's why matcha is the, the new craze. Um, we got her to pull out her caffeine, lower it to eight ounces a day. That was our negotiation. And then bringing in that L-theanine with the, the herbal blend practicing stress remedies, re-inoculating the gut. Um, She said she felt like herself and she hadn't been back there since after her first baby. Um, And so those are the types of things that I I think are the biggest wins. You know, there's sexy lab value changes always within these stories, but it's the testimonials of, I feel like myself again. I'm back in the driver's seat of the vehicle of my body. Um, I actually have exhaled and experienced breath. And, and, and these are the, the kind of what keeps me going and doing is creating those aha moments within each client of sometimes we need to release, sometimes we need to rev up. Um, but listening to that feedback is, is a part of, of definitely the whole healing process. I love it. This has been so valuable and we will put all of the ways to connect with you, but Allie Miller RD on Instagram and then it's yes. AllieMillerRD.com as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, where we can get your book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, and all the other cookbooks, especially the yes. keto-friendly recipes one sounds great because at least you're going in that direction and you don't yes. have to go full force. But I just love the work you're doing. I really want everyone to go check it out. And I just think you're a wonderful resource. Have you ever yourself dealt with anxiety? I have, yes. And so uh, the opening of my book kind of shares my story. And my anxiety peaked when I was a raw vegan. <laughs> It's a trifecta. I was a raw vegan at the Naturopathic College of Medicine, and I am very type A, if you can't tell already. Um, And so I was under the mindset of like, if I'm going to learn about biochemistry, I'm going to master the Krebs cycle. You know, I'm going to take all the elective. I'm going to do mushroom forging in the forest, and I'm going to make herbal medicine making at this year, and then I'm going to do, you know, my A&P and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get in the cadaver labs. And um, so I was just burned out. I was sleeping less than six hours a night and I was severely, my ferritin levels were at a two. 
Um, so super iron depleted um, and low B12 status and just, yeah. Um, <laughs> Let me ask you this about the ferritin actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I had super low ferritin as well, mine was down at 10 at one point. So that's the very bottom of the range. Two is horrific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was passing out. I was, uh, yeah. I, I would like literally almost pass out in the lobby of a spa building at one point, And then I also had horrifically restless legs. Yes. Anyone has restless legs out there. Look at your ferritin. Yes. And hair loss. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And as you know, and of course, we'll just touch base on this briefly, anyone out there who has any suspicion of brain fog or thyroid issues or weight gain, you have to get ferritin tested along with all the other stuff too, because you can't, you can take all the thyroid hormones you want. They will not get to where they need to go. They will not work and you'll have problems raising if you have low ferritin. So this is such a dumb, stupid, cheap test that a lot of people... Then you can spread to your own friends because women who work out who menstruate will lose iron than most people. And so it's like, if your friends are tired and exhausted or they had a baby, you know, just be like, Hey, go get your fair check. Just start there. Sometimes that stupid thing is just the answer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes it's something small. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And I had a very religious experience eating my first grass fed ribeye (laughs) from a raw vegan. Did you go right to the ribeye? Did you start off with this? I I started with raw egg yolks in green smoothies. And then uh, within a week though, truly a true calendar week, I ate a grass-fed ribeye because I was confronted with my naturopath at the clinic. And they're like, here's where your ferritin's at. You know, you can take a a heme iron supplement and um, you can eat more of this, that, and that. Because, you know, being raw vegan, I didn't have any really sources of iron. Um, they talk about beans and such, which have a lot of anti-nutrients anyway. But, um, I I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this food as medicine thing, I just need to redirect and understand that that food wasn't my medicine. And I need to understand what is food as medicine for my body. And that's when I really shifted to a paleo approach in my diet. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, haven't looked back since. What was the moment or what did you read or where was it that you were like, all right, uh, being vegan is going against what my DNA expects of me and I've <laughs> got to start to eat animals in their flesh. Yeah. I mean, I think it was that, that day. I mean, I was going, I was working with traditional Chinese medicine clinic. I was doing, I had, I have Raynaud's syndrome and being in Seattle in the cold rainy weather paired with, I had an autoimmune flare with my, my I'm Hashimoto's. Um, and so it was just all the things. And like I said, when I got that blood work back of uh, low hematocrit, low hemoglobin and low ferritin and low B12, it was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to make myself sick with this doctrine. And one of my favorite mantras L is doctrine creates disconnect. So if you are with any diet, if you get so religious about it, that, that you're silencing the brain fog, you're silencing the panic attack, you're silencing the hair loss. You need to listen to the shouts and screams of your body and reconnect and recalibrate even within, you know, whatever your spectrum is. So even if we're talking again, there's people that can too tightly keto. There's people that can, anytime we put something on a pedestal as perfection and we silence our body for that win, you know, that's, that's a loss for our body. I so agree with that. I mean, I think that was the comment on the panel that I said, where it's like, you know, sometimes you just have to eat the F and apple. Like just, know. you know, and, and even though I have a four to six hour eating window and yeah. it works most for me, there are times when let's say I get great sleep, but let's say I have bad sleep, then I might wake up hungry. Guess what? I'm going to eat a big, big breakfast situation yeah. maybe. And I normally never do that, but I honor what's happening. It's about intuition. So you can, you cannot disregard that. If your brain is suffering, but you're like, no, I, you know, I'm intermittent fasting. That might yeah. be the time for a quarter of an hour. 
gallons of macadamia nuts, right? Right. So it's about the state of flexibility, right? Yes. Metabolic yes. flexibility versus rigid. I can't agree more. I can't agree more. Froze up there for a second. I don't know if you can hear me, but the camera froze up. I can hear you. <laughs> there you are. Okay, we're back. So sorry. So on that note, not being rigid. No. <laughs> yes, rigid. <laughs> um, what else would you like to leave our audience with? I think just the fact that uh, we need to acknowledge when we're burned out. Um, unfortunately, our society rewards the person who can wear 12 hats. And I think we've both in our own personal stories been that person. And in some ways, maybe still are, but we have better better bubble wrap and tools to, <laughs> to deal with it. Um, but I think the biggest thing is is really honoring and listening to and acknowledging when you feel burned out and not feeling victimized by it, but feeling empowered by a methodical way to protect your body. And I think that supplementation and nutritional tools are very essential and they are just that they supplement our lifestyle. So if you have a bar on crazy lifestyle, you need to supplement to support your superwoman lifestyle. Um, and so that's kind of a big thing I just like to hone in. I think a lot of people perceive it as weakness or buzzworthy or, you know, what is this adaptogen herb? What is this B12 lozenge, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, we burn out on a nutritional level, on a biome level, on a neurological level from stress demand. And if you can't modify all your variables, you need something that's going to help you. So you're not running up a downhill escalator until the next organ depletion. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been an incredible podcast, so informative. And um, AllieMillerRD.com will put all of the ways to connect with her and the links to her books and everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great time. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the primal kitchen wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. Sort of, we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> That's my pleasure.